0: With more than 500 programs a year, there's never a dull moment at the Commonwealth Club. If you're a fan of this podcast and you like hearing new and provocative discussions
1: with the most interesting people in the world, consider showing your support by joining the Commonwealth Club and ensuring that the conversations never end. Visit CommonwealthClub.org special to get special rates on membership.
2: Thank you for joining us for another podcast from the Commonwealth Club.
3: Good evening, everybody. Welcome to today's program at the Commonwealth Club of California, India, Israel, and Berkeley. Um, I'm much Hathaji. I'm going to be your moderator for this program today. And this is such an honor and privilege to be with you today. I'm so excited. Just briefly to introduce myself, I serve as a board member of Silicon Valley Interreligious Council, representing Hinduism from Hindu American Foundation. Uh, We work with Jewish community very closely here. I also serve as the diversity ambassador for India Currents Publication. Now, let me introduce you to our very distinguished uh, panelists. Uh, our panel, we have uh, Dr. Francesca Spaniolo. He's an uh, associate adjunct professor, also curator of the Magnus Museum at UC Berkeley. And we have uh, Metan Zamir, Deputy Consul General of Pacific Northwest, Consulate of Israel, located in San Francisco. And we have the world's only Indian Jewish stand-up comedian, Samson Keletker. So ladies and gentlemen, please welcome our esteemed panel. And we would start our conversation today with the presentation from um, Dr. Francesco uh, Spaniello. So, Francesco is also um, at the Institute of European Studies, the religious diversity cluster of the Haas Institute, um, and he serves on the Digital Humanities Council. Dr. Spaniolo's research and teaching interest intersects textual, visual, and musical cultures. And he contributes to a- a- academic and cultural heritage institutions, live and electronic media in Europe,
1: Israel, and the US.
3: Francesco, welcome.
1: Thank you. I'm here to mostly guide you through some of the treasures that are kept in the Magnus Collection of Jewish Art and Life at UC Berkeley. They were collected in South India, in Kerala, beginning in the late 1960s. So I will guide you a little bit through these uh, incredible materials. It's a, it's a cache of incredible uh, treasures. And But first of all, let's just uh, paint uh, the, the map of where we're moving. We're, we'll be, I'll be presenting about materials that all come from Kerala and especially from the area of Kochi in South India. Uh, so you see on the map uh, where where we are in uh, in uh, in the context of the India Sun continent. um the materials of the magnus include uh, over over fifteen hundred items and they include synagogue furnishings and lamps ritual objects textiles especially festive clothing um like uh, such as uh, you know wedding attires and so on but also uh, very interesting manuscripts i will show you at some point the notebook the accounting book of a uh, of a 17th century 18th century spice trader uh, from south india books printed in india but also that arrived to india from all over the world and photographs and footage uh, in in showing these things i hope to point you to some of the uh, key aspects of uh, the history of this incredible community and a community that uh, has uh, architectural assets in Kerala, in and around the city of Kochi and the and the, uh, and the Malabar coast. Uh, people, the bulk of the community in the state of Israel, where they moved beginning in the middle of the 1950s, and most of its uh, heritage here in uh, Berkeley, California. So it's an interesting triangulation that led me when I started discovering these materials and presenting them in in an exhibition to call the exhibition Global India. Um, My experience was that the history of this community was often described in the general world, both Jewish and non-Jewish as a case of exoticism how surprising. Even this morning I was speaking with somebody in Moscow who's like, how surprising it is to know that they're Jews in India. Of course they were Jews in India for a long, long time. Uh, it's a history that's documented in writing uh, over the last thousand years. And and it's a it's a global history. And let's let's uh, remind ourselves of why. Uh, Here is a map of the spice trade in the 16th century. Most of the holdings that I will be discussing date back to the the 1500s, way into the 20th century. And this is kind of the the map of the global roots of the spice trade. And uh, we know to this day that many of the spices that we use in our food come from this part of the world. And we know that for many, many centuries, this part of the world has been connected in all kinds of ways. And in the terms of, of, of the history of Jewish community, very much impacted by the waves of colonial powers that, uh, that controlled the spice r- uh, trade, but also impacted very much by the creation of India as a, as a nation, nation state in the 20th century. Uh, it's a history that, that the Magnus begins in 1968. In 1968, the state of Kerala celebrated the 400th anniversary of the establishment of the Partheshi synagogue, which is uh, historically considered kind of the hub for both Jews and non-Jews, the hub of Jewish life in, in the city of Kochi. This is a poster, original, of course, an image of the original poster. Everything I will show you today comes from the collection of the Magnus at UC Berkeley. And this is an original poster from, uh, from 1968. And it's written in both language, English and Malayalam. Malayalam a language that's spoken, i am being told, but then written because of the high degree of literacy by by tens of millions of people to this day. And uh, a lot of Jewish life in Kerala existed in in Hebrew, but also very much in Malayalam. On the occasion of the anniversary of the synagogue, the state of Kerala also printed envelopes and and, and stamps. So this is a a stamp, stamp 1968. And in that year, emissaries from the magnates visited Kerala and got in touch with... uh, the representatives of the community that had not yet moved to Israel, they were getting ready to uh, to relocate and kind of leave behind sites and 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 uh, cultural heritage and over in the course of the of this of several years following nineteen sixty eight um, elements of this community they decided to archive themselves in California. They heard that there was a Jewish museum in Berkeley, California that was really interested in the history of the global Jewish diaspora and they uh, created uh, as we will see synagogue furniture, furnishings and, and clothing and especially archives and shipped everything off to California. Following that, there were subsequent trips and uh, more history of the community came, uh, came to light in California. Uh, just to be, and get, again, to work a little bit on math, this is the area of Kochi with little dots of the main synagogues in the area. Um, And if one wants to learn more, there is a a really incredible volume, highly informative book, uh, Synagogues of India, um, that's been engineered by, We know, we're very fortunate in the Bay Area to have an incredible community member who's been my friend and mentor in researching these materials, Mariam Sofer, uh, based in Palo Alto, who's been really uh, stewarding the preservation of uh, of, uh, uh, heritage, especially architectural heritage in in, uh, in, in India. So this is a map, but in, in around Kochi itself, there were eight synagogues. One of them was dismantled uh, in the in the 1950s and its furnishings ended up in the storage of another synagogue where they were found uh, by the Magnus. Among them, there was a stupendous Torah ark. This is made of teak. It's uh, decorated, painted gold leaf. Uh, it's about 13 feet uh, high. Uh, and it's uh, currently in Berkeley, California. Um, what's uh, striking about this Torah ark is that of not only it's from the 17th century, but there were some similar ones in other synagogues in the area. It seems like there was kind of a race among congregations to have a Torah ark of this kind. And the European uh, aesthetic here is very, very, very important because it signals the attempt and the way in which the community positions itself uh, in sync with the uh, Elites of, uh, of the colonial powers, especially at that time, the Portuguese powers. So this is in a way a slice of the Portuguese Jewish diaspora that emerges in uh, in in South India beginning in the 17th century. Um a Torah Ark is the is the sort of part of the synagogue that contains the the, the scrolls of the Hebrew Bible. The Torah, and this is an original photo from 1937 of a young man holding a Torah scroll. In it's a uh, very typical case. Also, well, we don't see the the, uh, the colors here, but uh, but also uh, uh, decorated in gold leaf. Uh, that's not the only architectural fragment that's uh, part of the Magnus Collection, uh, but it's not also not the only synagogue that furnishing that left Kerala in the, the Israel Museum in Jerusalem. Which, by the way, I learned today. Is about to reopen, will reopen uh, um, in you know in the wake of COVID. Uh, the interiors of one of the synagogues in in Kara has been reconstructed at the Israel Museum in Jerusalem, so one can walk through this uh, this incredible room that reconstructed. But uh, uh, Berkeley is no second uh, with this uh, with this incredible object. Here's a detail as you can see. It's uh it's fully decorated. This is the a, a, a an inscription that um, that honors the, the Torah, the, the 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 Hebrew Bible itself, and it's crowned by a, a crown of royalty. Uh and it's not the only element from that synagogue that's in Berkeley. Here is another one. I decided to show you a photo of our storage rather than a pretty photo. Uh this is created and uh we were able to reconstruct exactly where this was located in the synagogue that was then. Uh, demolished. Uh, it was a pediment and the entrance door. This is another photograph. This photographs I'm showing and a video that I would show at the end of my presentation were taken in 1937 by an American anthropologist, David Mendelbaum, who at the end of 1937 spent the, high, the Jewish high holidays in Kerala and subsequently wrote the first scholarly article about uh, this community. And then after his studies and serving at the University of Minnesota, came to UC Berkeley, was a professor of anthropology at UC Berkeley for for many years. Uh, So these are among his photographs, again, in the Magnus Collection in in Berkeley. I was saying furnishings, for example, synagogue lamps. Here is an example. And uh, what uh, this lamp has that's particularly interesting is that it's inscribed in both Hebrew and Malayalam. By the donor, this is uh, inscribed in honor and memory of of somebody, but also by its maker. So we have the maker's marks and we see a partnership in the creation and use of these objects between Jews and non-Jews in Mm -hmm. the area. That is really a trademark uh, of the culture of the Jews in the area. It's really an intersection of cultures, one that really characterizes the history of this community in in incredible ways. More lamps, and just as a reminder, these lamps all have, or were supposed to have like this one, glass vessels that contained coconut oil. So they burned coconut oil. And this is a a Hanukkah lamp. Please note, and we'll go back, but the birds, the the peacocks and other birds that are featured across all kinds of uh, symbology in the area there, uh, it's a symbol of wealth of, of 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 fertility and also just of interconnectedness and 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 beauty this is a lamp for hanukkah from one of the homes of the Jewish community in uh, in Kerala, the collection includes all kinds of small and large objects. These are mezuzot, so they're uh, they're attached to the doorposts of of the homes. On your left is one that's more traditional, and on the right, one that's very much a 20th century product. The stars of David, the six pointed stars that uh, that are featured in it, are actually. A political symbol. They marked so. This is this is clearly something that was created after the, the late teens, after 1917, the Balfour Declaration that. Uh, that allowed Jews to establish what would become a Jewish ha- homeland in Israel was very much felt across the common, the British Commonwealth and among, uh, among Indian Jews. And, uh, and that's when Six Pointed Starts become part of the iconography of the community. As I was saying, item of clothing, these are uh, on your left in white, a groom's vest, and then a purple vest for Simchat Torah, for the, the Jewish festival, Simchat Torah, a fall festival, and we will be getting uh, to this uh, festival shortly in a couple of months. Also from the community and again, also part of the, the collection at uh, the Magnus in Berkeley. The collection also includes countless books, Hebrew books that were printed in India. Uh, The Jews of Carol did did not print their own books, and most of their books were printed in Mumbai. We'll hear shortly about the the Jewish life in Mumbai. Uh, Mumbai is a a center of, of many aspects of Jewish life, but this was specifically, as the cover says, for those of you in the audience who can read Hebrew, it's a book that contains songs and prayers for uh, for marriage and circumcision and, and, and other rituals according, and, uh, according to the customs of the Holy Community of Cochin in Kerala. And there were many of such books. The materials at the Magnus also include manuscripts. I had an embarrassment of choices, but I decided to show you the notebook. This is an accounting book of a spice trader that uh, that was active at least as we know from the dates in the in the in the book itself between uh, 1744 and 1820 and uh, we can follow year by year what kind of spices he was purchasing and selling and trading with and really map his life and his activities, and in a way, those of uh, some members of this community uh, through this uh, through this book. What's interesting about the materials that were shipped from Kerala to Berkeley is that they also include, like this one, materials that even though they were found there, collected there, are not originating from there. This is from, from North Africa, from the Mediterranean, and it's an amulet to protect newborn children. Uh, very much in use within the, the Kochi community that became a central, and especially the Partheshi synagogue. Of ritual ceremonies for the for the circumcision and a receptacle of kabbalistic rituals at the time, and this manuscript kind of has all of it in its uh, in its complexity and and its uh, intricacy, uh, including a scary and menacing figure at the center and all kinds of protective spells and texts that contain that figure. It's uh, it's a manuscript that it has creases. Most likely, was used by many members of the community. Was folded, tucked into a crib to protect a child and then used for specific rituals on the eve of of a boy's uh, uh, circumcision. Among the manuscripts are incredibly beautiful, illustrated, uh, painted. This is painted and decorated with gold leaf. Here we have parrots among the the designs. Uh, This is a a marriage certificate. We find, again, the crown of the Torah, the two lions. These are a sign of influence of European and and of, of British uh, European Jewish arrivals. And, uh, and then the, the model, the structure of this uh, uh, of this manuscript is very much typical of India. The materials in, the, in this uh, collection are, are really countless, and they also highlight a specific character in the history, a very, very pivotal character in the history of this community, Abram Baruch, or Baruch Salem, who lived until just before the Magnus started collecting in Kochi and who was a lawyer, politician, community activist, active both within the Jewish community and very much in the politics and the national politics of India. The collection includes his own a marriage certificate when uh, after he studies in Kolkata to become a lawyer, he married his wife, who's a medical doctor, his wife Ruth. So, this is his and his wife's uh, wedding certificate, different design, Kolkata, a different story. The story of Kochi is it's, its own. He was very much an activist within his own community, fought for the rights of his minority within the, the so called white Jews synagogues. So, he fought for minority rights in all, in all angles and left behind. Priceless Diaries, these are his notes from 1937 about the time that the anthropologist David Mandelbaum visited visited, uh, Kochi and describes this visit in in detail, but there are uh, are diaries that start in the the, the 19-teens and continue until the late 1940s. Here he is in an original photo with a street sign of Jewtown Road in Kochi and a town that was documented not just in photographs but also in uh, video and what I'm going to show you is a unique, not just rare, unique video shot by anthropologist David Mandelbaum in uh, in Kochi, around Jewtown, around the Paradesi synagogue, uh, with real-life uh, rituals being performed by the community. We see a community in 1937 that's uh, very much entrenched in both traditional life, but also modernity. So we'll see in this little snippet a little bit of both, and it's a way to really... Get a vivid picture of this community. I will accompany it with a few words because the the film is silent. Uh, the streets, the streets of the Jewish quarter, with all kinds of merchants and shops, and and just uh, street life and characters filmed in 1937 across the street of of Kochi. And then we will shortly see. A celebration of the festival of Simchat Torah, uh, the same festival that we saw a vest, traditional vest, earlier in the in my presentation. Young women are riding cable cars and buses and buses around town, dressed in in modern clothes, not the attires of the of the merchants. And you see the diversity of clothes, genders, ages in this uh, processional of of uh, the scrolls of the Hebrew Bible, just outside the synagogue. And then we see the crowd sort of getting closer to the to the synagogue itself, entering uh, for prayer. As you can see, men and women walk together, and then they will kind of share the space of the synagogue with the women in the back, close to the door, probably also close to a little bit of breeze, and the men leading the liturgy. But women were also uh, important in this community liturgically. They created their own repertoire of songs and, and poetry and, and, and ritual texts in Malayalam that they sang and uh, one of the notebooks that they annotated, there are about thirty of these notebooks around the world uh, was is conserved at uh, the Magnus. So here we we have a a direct snapshot of life. And, of course, people arguing in the streets of Kochi in 1937. This is a, a, a short uh, survey of uh, what the Magnus has to offer in this uh, in this domain. As I said, about 1,500 items. Uh, of course, I couldn't present all of them in just a few minutes. But I hope that this gives you a, a sense of what uh, what's available to our community and beyond. And also a sense of how, uh, and Soma, please come back and join me, uh, of how this community really continues to exist in its multi-locational and global dimensions uh, to this day and continues to inject new ideas and new life in, uh, in our own to- today.
3: Absolutely. I mean, that was a fantastic presentation, Francesco. Thank you so much. We really appreciate your time and commitment to do this. I mean, the Jewish community has a long legacy in India. They moved there um, after the demolition of the Second Temple in Jerusalem. So hundreds of years of history out there. And I remember last year, me and Celia Mangel, uh, she's the coordinator for the Middle East Forum at the Commonwealth Club. We visited you, and you were such a wonderfully gracious host to give us a tour. I know things are close. Oh now but when there is an opportunity we hope to Mm -hmm. visit you again and everybody once again you are uh, listening to the commonwealth club of california program india israel and berkeley and please do visit us at www.commonwealthclub.org so we would continue with our uh, conversation Uh, With this, I would like to invite Matan. He's here with us today. Matan was posted um, in Bombay. Now it's called Mumbai for two years. So he has some wonderful experiences to share with us. Um, Matan is, as you know, Israel's deputy consul general to the Pacific Northwest, previously served as a deputy chief of mission at the Israeli consulates to Mumbai and to New England in the United States. He had, um, he had a decorated career in the Israeli Defense Forces where he received the President's Medal of Excellence. Before joining the Foreign Service, uh, Matan was an international business manager and the director of the training department of the Israeli Supreme Court, a position that was part of Israel's Center for Citizenship and Democracy. Uh, Matan grew up in Jerusalem where his family has lived for Nine generations. Wow. Welcome, Matan.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Soma. And thank you, Francesco and Samsung. And I also want to say thank you to Celia, Mark, and the team at the Commonwealth Club for hosting the four of us. And also join you, Soma, for um, congratulating Dr. Spaniolo and the Magnus Museum in Berkeley. I came to San Francisco a year ago, uh, and I was lucky enough to be able to visit the museum before... COVID. And I just have to say, this is one of many collections they have, and it's a beautiful place to visit. So I urge everybody once this whole COVID is behind us, hopefully sooner rather than later, uh, to be able to visit the museum. Uh, And you'll see in the background or in the side of me speaking, a bunch of pictures from my posting. And I was lucky I had, uh, I was fortunate enough to be able to serve at the Israeli consulate to Mumbai between 2013 and 2015. And these are just a few pictures from my two years there. I could speak about it forever. I'm a lawyer and I'm a diplomat, so I could speak for hours, but I'm not because I have 10 minutes. So I'll try to just find a few um, a few uh, things for us to think about together uh, in terms of the, the relationship, the friendship between India and Israel. Um, when you think about these two countries, you can think, that there's very little similar um and I think there's a lot more than meets the eye uh first of all India and Israel together makes one sixth of the world population um which is amazing, but you know now jokes aside uh there's a lot uh there's a lot of similarities a lot of common areas where um where Israel and India share um, similarities so for example um I- even in terms of the We talk about two very modern, very young countries. Uh, India got its independence only eight months before Israel did, in uh, exactly eight months, so the 15th of of August 1947 and May 14th, 1948. So very young, modern countries, but with centuries and millennia of tradition and heritage. So very young, but also very old in the the same time. Um, the fact that we're talking about two democracies, uh, one is the largest democracy in the world, and the second is the maybe the only real democracy in the Middle East, and two countries that really appreciate its um, democratic values, uh, equality, human rights, human dignities, and and free elections and and freedom of speech. I think the press in India and the press in Israel are also very similar in you know um, being the real guard. Or, dogs of democracy and doing its work. So free press is very important also in both countries. Uh, one more thing that's a similarity is the fact that we're talking about two countries, two nations that are very uh, technology oriented and um, technology in the sense of um, more than high tech, but also in the mindset of people. Uh, the, the spirit of entrepreneurship is very symbolic to both Israelis and India, and Indians, you know, when in Israel, you say, and I think in India too, when you open a door, you, you go through the window. When you open one window, you go through another de- window. And that's the idea of no shame in failing, but then also try again and again and again and and, and innovate and think out of the box. Uh, it's also very strong similarities. Uh, and then on top of that, I think the value of family, of having a warm family, of families staying together, being together uh You know, there's a joke about the Jewish mom, the Israeli mom, and it's definitely also the Indian mom pushing to education, to higher education. Uh, You know, it was all about having a son as a lawyer or or a doctor. Obviously, today he's also an engineer, but really pursuing and and knowing and appreciating the values of education um, is strong in both countries. Uh, And obviously the food. Uh, people would say that the Bay Area, Indian and Israeli restaurants are not as good as the original, and I'll agree. And and not as spicy, which is something that can be a good thing, but the food in India is, is spectacular and the food in Israel obviously I mean I'm not objective as an Israeli diplomat, but it's also something that's um um you you can only get when you the real thing you can only get when you visit both India and Israel. So there's a lot of common There's a lot of uh, um, similarities. So that leads to a lot of potential in the diplomatic relations between the two countries. And uh, even though the official, the formal diplomatic relationship between India and Israel um, only started in 1992, uh, around 50 years after the independence of both countries, it was very soon after Israel was founded. Already in 1953 that uh, even though there wasn't an embassy in New Delhi, uh, there was a consulate in Mumbai. And the consulate in Mumbai was there mostly to help the Indian Jewish community, those of them who wanted to immigrate to Israel to do Aliyah, uh, or just work with the the community on on community building and, um, you know, Jewish holidays and just work with the state of Israel. Um, in I think the peak time back then in the fifties, I think there were around hundred, more than hundred thousand Indian Jews. In um in a one point four billion, back it was around one billion people, but um it's very very, very small Indian community. And you heard uh, Dr. Spaniolo, the vast majority of those Jews, I would risk and say even eighty to ninety percent, they lived in Mumbai, they lived in Tane, which is a small city north of Mumbai. And they lived in the city of Pune, which is around three hours drive, depends on traffic. And in India, when you say 15 minutes or you say 30 minutes or you say one hour, it's very tentative. It's, let's say, Bay Area traffic times 10, not during COVID. So that's India traffic to be uh, to es- to estimate or to guesstimate. Uh, these were the centers of the Jewish community. There was a, a small Cochini um, Jews in the city of Cochin, which we heard of, and there was a small community in um in uh, um, Calcutta, but I think the vast majority was in, in Mumbai, in, in Tanya and in Pune. Today, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think when I left India in 2015, there was there were about 4,500 Jews living in, in, in India, in, in the great, in the subcontinent of India. Today, I think there's around 3,500 Jews. Most of them, again, in Mumbai, about half in Mumbai, around... A little less than half in, in Tane and then a very few I think 30 or 40 Jews are still left in Cochin maybe 20 Jews left in uh, in Calcutta and a few dozens here and there but the, the vast majority is in Mumbai so that was the one area when where Israel and India partnered on which is to help the small Jewish community um, even though the number of the Jewish community was very sm- was very small compared to the land of India and the, and the population of India, the impact of the Jewish community—the impact that the Jewish community had on the everyday life of the city of Mumbai—is huge. Um, you see Jewish elements, Jewish names, um, in many places. The uh, you know the Sassoon Dogs Library Hospital. There's a lot of others in prominent areas of the city of Mumbai, uh, and also the, the small Jewish community had. Even today, but especially a few a few dozens ago in the 50s and the 60s on the on the Bollywood industry, the foundations of the Bollywood industry, and then uh, and then you know in the, in being directors and actors and producers, they had a lot of impact on that too. Uh, so for a small community, the Indian Jewish community did a really good job in um, in building rep- positive reputation around their tradition and, and heritage. And it's an extremely warm, beautiful, welcoming. I was a guest there for two years. Uh, the way I was, um, the way I was able to build friendships, visit the Shabbat dinners, uh, and go to the synagogues and meet the community was fantastic. And I still have great friends from those two years till today. Um, on a more geopolitical level, the relationship between India and Israel were, are very deep and multi-level. So there's a lot of areas. I think. The main one will be agriculture and water. Israel being known as a country with a lot of know-how and technologies on the area of of, um, of water, from water recycling to drip irrigation to um, uh, uh, desalination. Uh, one story that I'll never forget is uh, around the around the beginning of my trip there. I went from Mumbai, we drove because the consulate covered. A few states, one of them was Madhya Pradesh, which is to the west, to the northwest of, uh, of Mumbai. And we traveled really deep into the mainland of, of India to get to this farm. Um, and I was introduced to the farmer and the farmer was, he was uh, growing vegetables, mostly cucumbers. And that's one of the pictures that you saw before. Me standing with like just random plants around me. Also, it wasn't random plants, it was cucumbers. And uh, and I think the farmer knew that a diplomat is coming to visit the farm, but he didn't really know from what country. And when he saw my little pin was the Israeli flag, he gave me such a big hug and took me to see the Israeli technology. I'll say the name of the company, even though there's a few companies, that one specifically was not a theme. So, well, it's a world-known country for uh, drip irrigation technology that's from Israel and told me that uh, just because of that technology, he's able to grow 10 times the yield than before he he um, implemented the technology. So that's just one story. And when we talk about fighting hunger in a country like like India that suffers in a lot of regions, suffers from hunger, the sole technology of drip irrigation alone helped a lot with that uh, with that problem. Um, so, water Israel has around eighty twenty eight sorry twenty eight centers of excellence for agriculture where Israeli technology in agriculture is being presented and. Hundreds of thousands of Indian farmers can come and learn and then implement that, these technologies uh, in their own in their own farms. Um, other than that, um, there's, like I said, innovation, technology partnerships, academic partnerships, and then also, and that maybe the Israelis among us know, but also tourism. So um, India is the number one destination for Israelis once they finish their military service when they turn 21. Uh, so there you go, around 50,000 Israelis a year, obviously pre-COVID will go and visit India, and, vi- so, and vice versa, so 50,000 Indians will go and visit Israel once a year. So despite the fact that it's the same number, we're talking about two at like very different scales. So when I visited more of the rural areas of India, people when I and I said I'm from Israel, people thought, oh, Israel, that's a huge country that sends us all these Israelis and, I think if you ask a lot of Indians, they'll think that Israel and India are pro- pretty much the same size of population because of all these Israelis that travel uh, from, Go- from the beaches of Goa to the beautiful streets of Mumbai and markets to da- uh, Salah and, and, um, and the Gangay and Ahmedabad and the deserts of, uh, of um, uh, Rajasthan and really all of the uh, Israelis and a lot of them, and, that's, and it's beautiful. And tourism brings culture with them, bring tradition. Uh, and um, and just you know get a real people to people connection, which is incredible, so the last thing i 'll say uh, before i uh, before i uh, before I move to Samsung is that um, for those of you who really want to explore options for um, for partnerships um, there's two projects that when I was in mobile really um, touched my heart, and I thought it was a good idea to mention them here because those of you who want. Maybe post uh, COVID volunteer visit India, see some projects that um, in the area of development that Israel and Israeli NGOs and Israeli government is invested in. Uh, so that's just you know things for you guys to think about. One is called um, uh, Warriors Without Borders. It's it's an organization that said that you know we we have all these like tens of thousands of Israelis who visit India anyway every year. Why not taking those um, those who are in India and have them, other than travel and sit all by the beach and, and see these historical places, maybe they can do something good for the community. It started in Mumbai. I think it picked up to other cities. They volunteer in schools. It's just young Israeli guys and girls who really want to volunteer and do something good for the community. So Warriors Without uh, Borders, they mostly work with kids, and it's it's a beautiful project. And the second one is an is Indian-Israeli-American partnership called Gabriel Project, uh, which is, a, uh, I really urge you to Google it. It's a project that's based in two slum areas in Mumbai, the main one called Kalwa. And what they do there is that they have volunteers, young Israelis and Americans, uh, go to the area, and in the morning, with very, less, with very little money, they only need a uh, little money for the morning to buy food, to to buy uh, ingredients to cook food, uh, meals. So they work with, uh, and that's another picture of me from those pictures who are there. Uh, They cook food in the morning for the community, with the community. It's a woman empowerment, a woman empowerment. So they take women from the the slum neighborhood. They cook the food together. They have a few dozen women that cook meals to around 180,000 meals every year. Dozens of kids every day later get those same meals High protein, high fiber, healthy nutrition meal uh, to uh, and to the to those kids in the schools in those in the neighborhood. So the, and then after that, the same volunteers who cook the meals in the morning later go and teach the kids in the school. So uh, it's so it's a, so it's a, like a double volunteer. So You do also the cooking group in the morning and then you volunteer later in the afternoon teaching the teaching the kids. Two amazing projects. Uh, I think worth uh, mentioning. As I promised, there's a lot of for me to talk about still, but I'll stop here uh, and I'll sum it back to you.
3: Thank you, Mahsan. Thank you so much for um, letting us know all these wonderful collaborations that um, you have led uh, while in India and also now, you know, partnership between India, Israel and the United States. I mean, would definitely uh, look up uh, those uh, projects that you mentioned. I mean, Wonderful narrative of religious pluralism, mutual respect, diversity, and inclusion. And the story would go on. I'm so excited to see the main... Photo we have on the Commonwealth Club uh, website of this program, India, Israel, and Berkeley. You see the synagogue. That's the synagogue um, in Calcutta. It's now called Kolkata. um, That has been renovated in 2017. That's the city where I was born and raised in. And I remember my family was um, friends with a Jewish family. They ran the bakery in Newmarket, uh, the Nahum's family. And, um, yeah, there's is so much, so many stories to share. I mean, this is excellent. And um, uh, our uh, audience, uh, once again, this is Soma Chateji. I'm your moderator uh, for the program today, representing Hindu American Foundation and India Current. It's such an honor and pleasure to be with you today with the Commonwealth Club of California. If you have any questions or comments, do text us on Zoom. I do have a lot of questions already. We are going to get back to that. I mean, people are excited. They're sending us comments. They, um, you know, We have from Melanie what is notable in the history of Jews in India was the lack of anti-Semitism. Of course, uh, not an instance of anti-Semitism ever. And uh, we are all so proud of our thousand years of friendship and partnership. With this, I would like to move on to Samson, who was born in Mumbai, where he was raised Jewish, earned his master's degree in computer software. He emigrated to San Francisco, which he calls a hotbed for emerging comics. Or comedians. Samson is the founder of the Oakland Comedy Club, co founder of the largest South Asian comedy festival in America, and headliner of the funny You Don't Look Jewish tour. He has been featured on NBC, CBS, and, PR, and the NDTV, San Francisco Chronicle, and has performed all over US, uh, Canada, and India, of course. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome.
2: Samson, Coletker. Uh Thank you very much, Soma. Uh, hey, everybody. Glad to be here. We're going to change the pace a little bit. It's me now. <laughs> and I, I do want to request uh, on, on my Zoom, I am only seeing three people. So Soma, Francesco, and Matan. Please unmute. I'd love to. You have. You're under a lot of pressure. You got to yeah, laugh for all does. the people. Online. But
3: then here we have more than 200 people registered through the Commonwealth Club itself.
2: That is fantastic. It's like all
3: my family and friends. <laughs> uh, I well. <laughs> so don't see
2: them, but we are all here. <laughs> Hello, they're there. And also for the tech team, if you guys want to unmute and, and hopefully enjoy this, so uh, that'll be fun. Uh, I'm going to start by first of all saying, Soma, great job, because you introduced me in the beginning as the world's only Indian Jewish stand up comedian, which is technically correct. <laughs> you will be surprised. <laughs> I have been, I have been at comedy clubs introduced as the world's only Indian Jew.
0: <laughs> <Okay>.
2: <laughs> and I'm like, dude, I have parents. <laughs> I, I didn't just drop from the sky. <laughs> right? So thank you for getting that specific right. Uh, I'm also going to take Matan's offer up and visit Francesco after the COVID is up. Because uh, I want to definitely go and visit the Magnus Collection at UC Berkeley. I think I saw some of my grandmother's missing stuff.
0: So yeah. like, what, we can <laughs> what we can do about
2: that. <laughs> uh, but that was amazing. That was It, it was I mean, very nostalgic for universe,
3: me. which is so interesting. I mean, partly written in Aramaic, partly in Tamil, yep. um, which is a South Indian language. And yep. It's fantastic to see that for real.
2: I know what you mean. Uh, and that's the thing with Jews in India, right Matan mentioned that been there for thousands of years, and they have adapted so much to the local cultures that you can't really tell us apart uh, <laughs> but uh, you also spoke about how uh, India and Israel make one sixth of the world's population. I got that. <laughs> that was funny and people people don't understand right? like i I was born and raised in Bombay or Mumbai for the politically annoying and <laughs> You know, growing up in Bombay, I used to always hear people say that Bombay is just like New York. That's the comparison people draw. Bombay just like New York. Right. So when I came to America, I actually visited New York. Uh, <laughs> not really, <laughs> right? Because you know, people say New York is a yeah. You know, people say New York is a city that never sleeps. Yeah. Yeah. Bombay you say is the same a city. about Tel Aviv. Yeah. Uh, but then Bombay is a city that never sleeps and never lets you sleep. Let sleep. <laughs> yeah. If New York is twenty four seven, then Bombay is, 14, no, what is he, right? forty eight <laughs> four.
0: Oh yeah.
2: Right. And then also here in America I've always heard people complain about how crowded New York is. And so I actually looked up the numbers and found out that Bombay is less than half the size of New York and has twice the population. Right. Right. Yeah, New York is like 8 million people. Bombay is 18 million people. Yeah, yeah I told that to my, one of my friends here. And he was like, whoa, what's what, that <laughs> like two people per square foot? <laughs> and I was like, no, it's more like two people on each of your foot. <laughs>
3: <laughs> that's definitely the local trains. I remember I used to be in Kolaba for my college, some of the internship. And I had to go to Worli to the TV studio. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> the local train is a free massage parlor oh on God. wheels. <laughs> but I, I was born, in, born and raised in Bombay. I was raised Jewish. And uh, it's, it's very fascinating for me because when I tell that to people here in America, I get a lot of questions. You know, questions like, really?
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> like, are you really Jewish? And I'm always like, what are they expecting me to say? Like, oh no, you caught me. (laughs) You are so good at recognizing people just by looking at them. You must be Christopher Columbus. (laughs) And again, thank you. That is an Indian joke, right? (laughs) (laughs) The other question I also used to get a lot was Were you born Jewish? Like, no, I was born a baboon. (laughs) <laughs> and then as I evolved I realized that I am better than everyone else the chosen one <laughs> which is usually followed by the next logical question are both your parents Jewish? <laughs> are you no good? my father is a Christian and my mother is a Muslim and they hated each other so much they <laughs> were <always laughs> be Jewish <They're> produced. <laughs> and <laughs> But here's the thing that, I, that I've always seen, right? All these questions that I got usually came from other Jews. It's almost like they were saying, oh, you are Jewish? Hold on. First, I got to validate you. <laughs> are you really Jewish? Were you born Jewish? Are both your parents Jewish? And now here's the real backstory, all right? My mom was born and raised in a Hindu family, married my dad, born and raised in a Jewish family, Converted when she married. So when I was born, she was Jewish, which in the Jewish law, you are, uh, your, your mother is Jewish, so your kids are Jewish. So when I was born, she was Jewish, so I am Jewish, right? Right. But I, I, I stopped explaining this
3: to... At the, um, at the Magnus Museum. <laughs> 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 the <brain.
2: laughs> right. But here's the thing, right? I, I stopped explaining this to everybody. Except when I was on stage. And, and here's why. Because one time we were having a similar uh, discussion. I was like talking to a bunch of people. And I mentioned that my mom was born and raised in a Hindu family. Uh, before I could say anything, somebody in the in the group yelled out, mm. you're not a Jew. And I was like, hold on, <laughs> Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> Let me finish my statement. Right, And then I went on explaining that she converted when she married. So she was Jewish when I was born. Doesn't that make me Jewish? And he goes, I don't know, she converted. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's the whole thing I just explained. Is that a problem? And he goes, no, no problem, but, you know, she converted. And I was like, dude, if that's the biggest issue, let's let's think about this for a minute, all right? Now, we all know who was the first Jew, Abraham. And how was Abraham the first Jew? According to the story, one day he heard this voice that said, Abraham from now on, you are a Jew. And I think Abraham was like, "Uh, who are you? (laughs) And the voice was like, I am God. Really? Are you really God? Were you born a God? How about your parents' gods? (laughs) And I guess God must have been happy. He's like, hey, look, I chose the right Jew. He's asking me all the questions. (laughs) So yes, my point, right? okay. If Abraham was the first Jew, but then he married Sarah, not born Jewish, no Jewish parents, so obviously not Jewish. And like I said, in Judaism, the mother has to be Jewish for the son to be Jewish. Their son Isaac isn't a Jew either. So pretty much Abraham was the first and the last Jew. The rest of us, <laughs> in delusion. <laughs> <laughs> Right? How about that for validation?
3: So, by the way, Samson, Celia, uh, she's off today. She has a medical checkup. You know, we are missing her so much. She's the <laughs> of the police forum at the Commonwealth Club right. California. But she has a question for you. She said, sure. um, you did an engineering degree and then became a stand-up comedian. I mean, why engineer in the first place and then why move to this profession?
2: So I think... Stand-up, doing engineering was fulfilling my parents' dreams. And then I had to pursue some of my (laughs) own. And that's how I came into (laughs) stand-up. Yeah, like we were talking about this, right? The similarity between Indians and Jews in America. Indians produce doctors and engineers. And Jews produce doctors and lawyers. (laughs) So here I am.
3: (laughs) And scholars. Like Francesco, Francesco would well for it, right? A lot of Jewish people in academia.
1: Absolutely. Well, I have Absolutely. to say, I really agree with Samson that the, the history of the Jews of India uh, prompts so many good questions mm-hmm. for everyone.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so, thank you for highlighting some of them. And uh, the, the Jews of Kochi, actually, and Matan, I'm sure you're familiar with the story, but had a hard time getting into Israel uh it was it was uh their their status was also questioned at the time, and uh what I learned best by frequenting members of the community is that they're now completely integrated with society and and there is there is a small museum in the Negev they actually they didn't give them the the a comparable part of uh Israel to settle right they left a very lush land and they found themselves in the desert. Uh, right. There is a, a small, beautiful museum and synagogue there, but most of the communities really sprinkled around the country and very much integrated and married across all kinds of uh, uh, other Jewish groups within Israel. So, um, right. there is are more
2: Indian Jews in Israel now than there are in India.
0: Right. So the majority of them, I said 100,000, majority of them, uh, some moved to the UK, to the US and to Canada, but the vast majority moved to Israel. And what you said, Francesco, is absolutely correct. I think because Jews in India were so used to being integrated among um, a, a larger community than them, that compared to other communities in Israel, I mean, every community has their own struggles, but they were able to be part of the Israeli society. I think the fastest, uh, um, compared to other uh, other others waves of Aliyah of immigrants to Israel, uh, they. Like you said, they're married, you know, everybody, and they really now, uh, they move to like, senior positions within like, the administration and business and academia and really blended into Israeli society. And they shaped Israeli society. Food, music, um, you know, culture, again, academia, and a lot of other aspects. So amazing story of the Israeli Indian, too. Wonderful. Thanks for
3: sharing, Matan. Samson, question to you. Okay. What Hindu you, you plus Jewish objects you have at your home.
2: Well, I used to. Some of them are in the Magnus collection now. but <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. You can't tell no, that. <laughs> I don't know. See, for me, we, we grew up in Bombay, very cosmopolitan. And, and Matan, you were based in Bombay. So you have seen there are people of all backgrounds, all religions, all sects, everything, all mixed together. And we live so cohesively together. If you actually walk into my house, you'll, you'll find like Jewish, some Jewish objects. You'll find some, uh, my, my dad wears like a cross and a, a Muslim cap and a Punjabi kada, the, 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 the steel uh, uh, bangle that, that the Punjabis, the Sikhs wear. And so he's like a, a mixture of everything. And it was similar thing with my mom too, because she was born Punjabi Hindu. Uh, she used to teach in a Gujarati school, which is another language and she married a Jewish guy, and we speak Marathi at home. And so talk about diversity in a family, right? And it's, it's, it's a similar thing with me too. We have a mix of a family here. My wife is also, my wife and I have had an interfaith marriage. She's uh, Maharashtrian Hindu. I am Jewish. Uh, my, my older daughter has a Scandinavian name, and my younger daughter we adopted. She was an Afghan-American, gave her an Italian name, so all over the map, all right? So I don't know what's very typically Hinduistic, but I think the food more than anything else. I relate most to the food. And if you want to get the Hindu effect, uh, I'll make you like latkes and samosas, the best in town.
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> you really need to taste that. Matan, there's a question for you from Vijay Rajvaidya of India, current, So which part of Madhya Pradesh MP did you visit?
0: He's from India. Wow. I have to go back to my 2013
3: diary. So there were, he said that, uh, you know, he can totally resonate with what you said, the agricultural projects, the water management, irrigation, his state really, uh, you know, uh, was uh, benefiting from these projects. So he can, he has firsthand experience uh, observing it. So that's great.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I can't remember the name. And plus, even if I did, I would probably pronounce it wrong. <laughs> I have to say, you know, before coming to Mumbai, I thought maybe I learned some either Hindi or Marathi so that I'd be able to, you know, speak. And just between us four, because nobody else listens, the only thing I can remember today, other than you know, understand, is very like the basic things, I know how to say in Marathi, "You have dialed the wrong number," because I've heard this so many times <laughs> with like the phone system there that I—that's the only sentence. And I a few more, but
3: remember. Mm-hmm.
0: Sorry. I think
3: that you still remember, right?
0: <laughs> right. That's the one thing I remember: how I to "Happy New Year" and "Happy Holiday," and <laughs> but that's the main one that sticks that stick with me.
3: Sure. So, Francesco, there's a question for, me, for you from Laurie Holzberg. She said, what is the origin of the Jews in Cochin? Did you mention Portugal or do, do you know? Yeah, uh,
1: very good question. And it's it's really the stuff of legends. There are many, many conflicting stories. Um, and uh, there are, as I mentioned uh Written documents, actually, ins- they're inscribed copper stones that date from the year 1000 of the common era. Mm-hmm. So. You do your math, but it's not a difficult math to 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 do, and that's when we know that there was a Jewish community there that had something to do. When I'm talking, Kochi with the with with uh, with the local uh, the local government at the time, um, there are all kinds of mythological stories. But you know, I come from Italy. The Jews of Italy have their own myths, and then you know, other parts of everybody has their own myths. Uh, but um, the the story I told is is a very modern story. It's the story of. Essentially, the, the integration between the local Jewish communities and the, global, the history of global trade, which is not just trade of goods. It's not just uh, financial trade. It's, uh, the, the global trade means people are moving, ideas, uh, and, uh, and, and the objects that we saw. Um, what I did not show, for example, is that thro- the trove of books – Hebrew books that were found in Kochi that come for example from Italy from the Mediterranean from uh, from Eastern Europe all Hebrew books that arrived with Jews there so it was a community that had a core but also a lot of movement of people coming and going for all kinds of reasons some of them staying uh, one of the actually the, one of the lamps that I showed that uh, it, it's a family the last name of the family it's a local family is Ashkenazi as in German or East European um, so I, I, that's why I was kind of echoing Samson's, uh, uh, you know, funny but but really uh, relevant humor in terms of questioning all kinds of identities. There are all sorts of identities there. And in a way, the myth is fine, but it's not the most important p- part there. Some say that it goes back to Roman times and Jews were doing trade with Rome. We don't have any actual uh, document for about that. But what we see is the waves of colonization and how Jews interacted with them and how different Jewish populations arrived and interacted with local ones and how some lost rights, some gained rights, some fought inside, some fought outside, how much they per- participated in, in, in Indian history, in the making of India. Uh, uh, Matan sort of was helping us remind that uh, 1947 Independence, of India, 48 of Israel uh, there, there are some interesting synergies there in in terms of history, but I was also pointing us back to the origins of Zionism and how much Zionism, we, we think of Zionism as a as a uh, European or American phenomenon in relationship to the the arrival of Jews to to Palestine, and and we see that the impact in the Commonwealth is was very much also a British affair, and and the impact on the British Commonwealth is very much felt uh, in, into India as well. The, there is a response, and the long-term project that will lead to the migration of the Jews to to Israel. It will take decades uh, for that to happen. It's a, it's a it's a sort of zigzagging kind of story, but totally fascinating. And I have to say, fascinating for me, who I think is the only person on this panel who never set foot in in India. I've never I've never been there, so that's maybe a dream or maybe a plan for me after COVID. Uh, to find find my way there and discover these uh, these lands and these places, these stories that really fascinate me and resonate with other things I know about sort of global marginal cosmopolitan Jewish identities and maybe not not just Jewish.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we look forward to that trip. Hopefully, we can all go and revisit. I mean, yes, there's so much. Are are saying all,
1: how many? whole two hundred and twenty five people that are watching, we'll organize a small tour and all go there. Good. I
3: mean, that would be my dream come true. And I'm yet to visit Jerusalem, which is again, you know, part of my dream to visit, go visit Israel, hopefully mm-hmm. someday soon. And uh, with that, I mean, this has been a wonderful conversation. This will continue and hopefully we'll be able to meet each other soon as well. And thank you.
1: Not in Israel, at least at the Magnus in Berkeley. So you come and come back.
3: Thank you, you know, uh, for um, uh, patriotizing, you know, for your um, uh, very nice um, anecdotes to Jewish history, Jewish life, Jewish objects, and Jewish experiences from India, Israel, and the United States. Um, we are global citizens. It's a connected world. So much love to all of you who are listening, who are watching us uh, tonight. Thank you for your presence. We really appreciate it. I am so much Hattieji, your moderator for this program, and you just listened to Dr. Francesco spaniola Matan Zemir, a deputy consul general from the Israeli consulate, and Samson Koletker, world's only Indian Jewish stand up comedian. I hope I got that right. <laughs> With that, I mean, we are, yeah, it's about time. So I have to make my closing remarks, although I don't feel like leaving. But, um, This meeting of the Commonwealth Club of California celebrating over 115 years of enlightened discussion is now adjourned. Thank you. Have a very good night, everybody. Namaste.
1: You've been listening to the Commonwealth Club of California. Hear thousands of our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Play and Stitcher.